Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. All right, hello everybody. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Jim, and I wanted to share a few encouraging thoughts with you today. And this morning I was thinking about how when I was younger, back in my school days, from grade school all the way up through high school, and then even college a little bit, but not so much there, I just remembered how the things that I was experiencing at that time just seemed so larger than life, so important, and how the problems that I faced as a as a kid growing up, and what I mean by problems, I'm talking about the things that I perceived as being a challenge, the things that I perceived in my young mind as being problems and challenges and hurdles to overcome. You know, sometimes they were social, sometimes it had to do with passing what I thought was a life and death uh, test. And you know, it's funny looking back now, I look at that time and I remember just thinking, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be in school for the rest of my life. And I just couldn't wait till the day arrived when I was going to be able to graduate from high school and just get out of all of that. I was just in such a rush to get through it. And I remember thinking at the time when it was over, I could hardly believe it was over because for so many years, it felt like 12 years to be exact, I guess. Uh, it felt like I was going to be in school forever. And even though I went on uh, for a few years of college, my my mind was, I looked at it completely different. I looked at that as an investment Whereas beforehand, I looked at school as kind of like being on in a in a form of house arrest, I guess you could say. You know, you had to be in a certain class at a certain time, and if you weren't there, you got in trouble. Uh, there were places that you could go and couldn't go, and if you went there, you got in trouble. In other words, there were so many opportunities to get in, in trouble, and I felt like I had my share of taking advantage of those opportunities. But again, it, it felt like at the time that life was just slow. It, it like it felt like I was never going to get through that. And when I did, I still remember, it's funny how some things from the past can stay with you and still seem like it just happened, like a feeling. I guess that's really what I wanted to, to focus on, like a feeling that, hey, that's happening again. I remember driving by the high school a year after I graduated and just the feeling like, well, I'm not supposed to even be out here. I'm supposed to be somewhere. In other words, I had the freedom to go where I wanted to go, to drive where I wanted to drive. And it was so such a new feeling for me that it, it stuck with me to this day. I mean, I can actually recall the actual feeling of how I felt not having to be in that building or not having to be in that system anymore. And uh, for a while, I kind of didn't really even know what to do with myself. I mean, I was so used to being told you got to be here at this time and there at that time. And, uh, and, and you know, when you get paid for it, it's a little bit different. You know, in, in school, you weren't getting paid to be there. You just had to be there. Well, I guess you didn't have to. But all things being equal, I wanted to graduate, get a diploma, and go on to college and study something that I actually had interest in. But I think about how I felt back then. And again, it felt like it was going to last forever. And it was training. I was going through a series of training that would take me through the rest of my life. Well, in, at least in the eyes of the school system, that's what it was there for. And, and, and again, the tests seemed like they were life and death at times. You know, you just had to pass. Even in college, I felt that way on a few occasions. Um, and now, you know, I look back and I think, well, that all passed very quickly. 
And then I remember, you know, in my 20s and 30s and the unique challenges you face at each decade in your life. And sometimes we blow things out of proportion. We make them bigger, deeper, graver, so to speak, than they need to be. But then all of that passes. And I was thinking that there will come a time when we enter the actual kingdom of God, seeing things, not having to walk by faith anymore, but actually seeing it and experiencing it. And in that time, there are scripture verses that kind of um, suggest that the former things will be forgotten. Now, that that doesn't mean, I, I don't think, of course, that we don't remember, um, because even uh, the, the saints recognize one another, of course, when we saw um, on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, Peter, who never saw Moses or Elijah, recognized them right away. So we'll recognize, we'll know people that we don't know here. We'll know everything about them, I would imagine. Everything meaning all of the good things, the part of them that made them um, who they were in the sight of God. Let's not go too far down that road, right? So um, God has separated us from our sins. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, he's cast them into a sea of forgetfulness. So that's actually why I say that. Why would we get there? And somebody said, oh, you were the guy that had the drinking problem or, or you were the woman that gossiped all the time. You know, people won't think about those things. All those things will be forgotten. So, um, but yet when we're here, our feelings about what we're experiencing at the time seem to be more real than anything else. And they, they just kind of have a way of anchoring us in this visible world of what we're what's happening around us. And and those things seem more real than God. Those things seem more real than the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead, that we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Not all of the time, but some of the time. So here in um Romans chapter I'm gonna read from Romans chapter six, or excuse me, Romans chapter eight first. Let's let me read from there. Romans chapter 8 and verse number um, 6. It says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, what does that mean? Some of these scriptures you can read here. You know, the Bible talks about rightly dividing the word of truth and that some people twist the scripture to their own destruction. Everything that we need to be righteous in in God, God's sight. Everything that all of the the heavy lifting, I hate to put it that way, but I'm just going to just came to mind, was done by Jesus Christ for us on our behalf at the cross. Right? So it says, for example, it says in that same chapter, in verse number two, it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, so one of the, one of the definitions of death is separation. So there's separation of our spirit and our soul from our body, but there's also separation from God. And the Bible talks about it, the day of judgment talks about the second death, when those who rejected the gospel will be judged according to their works and cast into the uh, lake of fire. It says hell and death will be cast into the lake of fire. So what does that mean? I, I can't tell you scientifically. I could give you some thoughts on it, but read it for yourself. So it says that God, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak. So the law is kind of like the step-by-step guide of what to do in life. So, for example, um, 
somebody drives up across the street in a brand new, I don't know, sixty or $70,000 car. Maybe they have two of them. Maybe there's a bow on both of them. And you think, oh, it may be nice. And maybe you get an older car and, and all of a sudden you have envy that rises up on the inside of you, right? The Bible says that we shouldn't envy. We shouldn't covet what our neighbor has. But, you know, we catch ourselves doing these things, right? And, and that's kind of like saying that, I was driving down a 35-mile-per-hour road doing 45 miles per hour, and I caught myself um, going over the speed limit, and so I, I slowed down. But you were still speeding. Yeah, you caught yourself speeding, but the, the matter of the fact is if there was a, a, uh, a police car with radar parked on the side of the road, you would have been pulled over and got a ticket. So it's like sometimes we, we do the wrong thing. Sometimes we break the law. And we get caught and pay a penalty. And sometimes we break the law and we don't get caught and we don't pay a penalty here on this earth. Well, when it comes to spiritual things, every time we break the law, we are, we're caught. It's just that we don't always pay a penalty here in this lifetime for it. But in the heavenly world, when the time of judgment comes, our righteousness, we don't want our righteousness to be based on all of the laws that we broke and we didn't keep. Because in heaven... The only thing that will step through those gates is, uh, is perfection. Everything in heaven is perfect. And there'd be no way we could get there except that somebody paid our debt for us. Right? So when, we, when you step through those gates, so to speak, when you step into that world, your, your debt is either paid for or it's still on your account. So when you think about things like that, you think, well, what could I add to that? And the Bible says you can't add anything to the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. All you could do to show your appreciation, right, is to live your life like it no longer belongs to you, like it belongs to him. So imagine this, you're you're in, and we can, you know, think about an earthly illustration of that. If you were just so far down and out, and then somebody came along and they paid for everything, new home, new car, new clothes, new job, new business, everything, they just gave it to you all at once. How overwhelmed would you be, right? For the rest of your life, you would feel kind of indebted to that person that got you to that point. I know some people don't like to feel indebted to anybody, but the reality is we're indebted to what God has done. So we live our life so it's no longer like our own. At least that's our reasonable service, right? The reasonable thing is is to be thankful for what God has done for us. Okay, so let's go on a little bit further. So it says here that he condemned sin in the flesh. Let's, let me... um, Let's start in verse number three. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, right? Just what we said, weak, right? We're weak. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So when you read that, sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm still walking according to the flesh because just the other day I lied about something. It was just a little white lie, but I still lied about it. Uh, I didn't really pay all my taxes for the last few years. I kind of, you know, hit a few bucks here and there. And, you know, we can go down this long list of things. We're right back in works again. But what does it say here? It says that the the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Well, it says right here in verse number nine, if you skip ahead, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So walking in the spirit doesn't have to do with what we do or don't do. It has to do with what was done in us. 
Right? How did the spirit get inside of us? Right? It says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. What does that mean? Of course it does. It means that we are in a physical body, so it can't mean that. It doesn't mean you're not in the physical body. But it says, but you're in the spirit. In God's estimation, in God's sight, how God sees it is, is that if his spirit is within you, then you're not in the flesh anymore. Because it actually goes on to say, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. That's not difficult to believe, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also quick give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So it, when your mortal body needs healing, right? When you get to heaven, you won't need life in your mortal body because your mortal body won't be in heaven. It'll be in the ground or cremated or wherever. But the spirit that's in you now can give life to your mortal body. That means if there's something wrong with you, then the life of God is available to you because he's in you. Sometimes people forget that, that, okay, you know, God is far away in heaven. Yes, but he's also in you. The spirit is also in you. He's no less in you than he was in the Holy of Holies in the in the temple of old. Okay, so getting back to what I was going to say, it says that in verse number eight, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So there's something in you that thinks about God that thinks about Jesus, that thinks about the truth. There's something in you that wants to walk in freedom and love and peace. There's something in you that craves righteousness to be done and for evil to be put down in in your everyday experience. There's something in you that isn't going to be happy just because you win, but wants everyone to win family, loved ones, the person that you don't know across. I mean, you have the nature of God in you. And so it's growing. You know, the Bible says it's just like a seed that gets sown. Maybe the fruit is very small in the beginning, but you're growing. You're growing and you're changing. And it's part you, it's part God, meaning that you have to want to. And I know there is part of you that wants to, because that's the part of you that's been uh, regenerated. That's the part of you that is alive to God. But listen to what it says here. For the, To be carnally minded is death. Death is, again, separation. Separation. So, so when our mind is separated from the thoughts of God, it's focused on um, problems sometimes, on issues, on things which, which are negative. That's what I mean by that, that term separation. Sometimes people just say the word death and you just think of somebody dead you know, not moving. But this is actually talking about people who are living and are experiencing death or separation. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So you have to think about those two things. Carnally minded is death. A lot of times you know what you've been thinking because of how you feel. And the thing is, when you're in this body, your mind is always going to have to be renewed, is always going to have to have fresh, good stuff put in it, simply because we we're kind of like one person put it this way we're like leaky vessels yeah we have god in us but and we have love in us and we have all those things but it's kind of like when you go to 
bed at night and you wake up in the morning and guess what? Your breath isn't so fresh. Your hair doesn't look so good. Your skin doesn't look so great, right? And so you have to you have to take a shower and you have to get clean again. Why? Because there's dirt in this world and because um, and some natural things in the body, right? You just have to keep up on it all the time. And it's no different with our feelings, with our emotions and our thoughts. Sometimes we just find ourselves thinking lowly, defeated thoughts. We think about problems that we have and how long we've had them, and then we forecast our future. And this happens sometimes like on a subconscious level. We just know we're not happy because we've been thinking about the wrong thing and not even realizing we've been thinking about it until we really just start feeling down about, I don't know, it could be anything. We might feel down about our future, down about where we are at this station in our lives, or down about how little we've accomplished, or feeling down about how far we still have to go in certain areas. And so is that peace? Can you see what it says there then for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and and peace? But here's the thing. Sometimes it's hard to think about something positive because the negative thoughts are in living color and like the positive thoughts are in this grainy black and white. And so for those of you that remember the old TVs, grainy black and white versus high definition color, well, if the negative thoughts are coming to you in like stunning high definition color and the positive thoughts about God are grainy black and white, then we have to change that. We have to do something. Something is within our power to do. God is in us. The Holy Spirit is called a helper. But just like any other helper in any other job, um, you have a, a responsibility it's not the helper's job to do everything instead of you. It's to help you get what needs to be done, done. And so think about this for a minute. Um, one of the things that I like to talk about in this podcast is the scripture, um, which says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those that love it will eat its fruit. <clears throat> God told Joshua to meditate on the word day and night. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that way... He would make his way prosperous and have good success. Take a quick drink there. So um, meditation, talking to yourself. Just the other day, I, I just found myself, there was death in the family the other day. And that led to, I was praying, of course, for the person because they had been sick. And it was a very serious sickness, um, a very rare illness that they had. In my family, my aunt, no cure for it. And maybe a thousand people in the world get it a year, in the whole world. So it's very rare. <clears throat> and I remember praying for her and using my faith to the best of my ability, believing to the best of my ability, but just feeling bad about the situation. And to be honest, not really shocked when she did pass away because... I don't know if it was just the negative stuff that I, I had read about the, what she had or the fact that it was so rare the doctors were baffled or, or any other thing. I just know that, you know, if we could, if it was within our power to do so, we would just pray for everybody on the block to, be, to receive uh, Jesus, to receive salvation, to get saved. And then when that happened, in a reasonable amount of time, maybe we just move to the next block. And Or maybe we wouldn't do that. Maybe we just do the whole city at once, right? Because 
If we ask anything according to God's will, the Bible says he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have the petitions desired of him. But that's, but that's you asking for yourself. So you say, okay, well, if it doesn't work for, if it only works for you, you asking for you, well, then what about asking for other people? Well, you know, there's plenty of scripture verses where we see um, people praying on behalf of other people, intercessors, especially in books like Jeremiah in the Old Testament, where it says, I set watchmen on your walls who don't hold their peace day and night. These are uh, God's remembrancers. They put God in remembrance of his word until he brings it to pass. There's scriptures like that where we see illustrations of continuous uh, faith, continuous of speaking of God's promises. Um, and we see other scriptures in the New Testament that Jesus is the high priest of our confession, what we say. We know that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and we know that there is power in the tongue, not just because of scriptures like Mark eleven twenty three, which says, speak to the mountain, but even other scriptures on the other side, which says that in that day, man shall give an account of every idle word that came out of his mouth. Why would you be judged for just every little idle or non-working word if there wasn't some kind of power in those words to do either good or, or bad? Doesn't the Bible say in the book of James that the tongue is the smallest member, but with the smallest rudder, you can turn a big ship or the small bit in the horse's mouth. Right? We see all of these shadows of the power of the tongue. We see direct scriptures saying it bluntly about the power of the tongue. We see that Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves. He spoke to demons. We see the disciples spoke in Jesus' name and and the dead were raised and all kinds of things with the spoken word, just with the spoken word. But yet, sometimes we look at our own situation, we think, well, you know, it doesn't work that way for me. Well, you know, I'm not going to debate that. I, I believe you. I believe that it doesn't work for you that way if that's what you're, what you're telling me. But I also know that, that just because something isn't working doesn't mean that it wasn't God's will for it to not, to not work. Sometimes we just think that God allows things to happen because that's his will. But if the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, and many perish— then the natural 2 plus 2 equals 4 means that God's will isn't automatically done here on this earth. That the will of an enemy, of God's enemy, is being done. I mean, isn't that true? Why would Jesus say, when you pray, pray this way, that will be done here on earth, even as it is in heaven, if it was done automatically? If everything God wanted to happen, happened, then we wouldn't have to pray that his will be done if it was automatic. So obviously it's not. God's not willing that any should perish, but many Broad is the way, wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many there be that go by it. So when you look at this, the reason why this is important to recognize this is because there will be times, and I know there's been times in my life where I just felt like um, losing was inevitable. And those feelings felt so real at the time, like the answer to prayer was never going to come, not in this situation. Like the, the, the end was, it was, was here. And, and these weren't critical situations. I know there were some praying for people and seeing them die. Uh, and, but I don't use that as an indicator of God's will. I use that as an indicator that we tried. It's almost like standing up in front of a um, group of people and you say, you, give a, you, you preach the gospel, you proclaim the gospel, and some receive it and some reject it. You know, so we, sometimes it's easier to 
to focus on one or the other. Well, what was it God's will for those people? Yeah. Yeah. Was it God's will for those other people to reject? No, but they had a say in the matter. Does that make sense? They had a say in the matter. So that's what they experienced. They experienced staying on their own, staying outside of the, the kingdom of God. Right. So all those things have to, you have to take into account and you say, okay, well, maybe I can agree with maybe that, um, maybe it's God's will for everybody to get saved for everybody to get, um, to receive forgiveness, but because they reject the gospel, they also reject the forgiveness. And remember what Jesus said, what is it easier to say? Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Remember when they, they lowered the paralytic man, his friends brought him to be, um, to be healed by Jesus but they couldn't get to him. There was a throng of people who was preaching in a house. And so they brought him up on the on this uh, roof and they cut a hole in it and they lowered him down. And Jesus, when it says they saw when Jesus saw their faith, he um, made the comment because there were other there were Pharisees. You know, there were detractors around. He says, what is it easier to say? Son, thy sins be forgiven thee or rise up and take your bed and walk. And so he said, just so you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he says, rise up and take your bed and walk. It says in the book of James, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed any sins, they shall be forgiven. So salvation is for the total person. It's for the spiritual person. It's for the physical person. So uh, what does all that mean? What it means is sometimes you're in a situation for a long period of time and and you kind of settle in your heart that probably things are not going to get much better that probably you're not going to experience any kind of significant miracle and there's plenty of examples around us to bear this situation out there's plenty of times that we can recall people that we prayed for they didn't get it that people that you prayed for they they rejected god and, and that that's a reality but that doesn't do away with the reality that there are people that do receive. There are people that do get set free. There are people that, that God does raise up. And what's the deciding factor in, in the situation? Well, I think what it comes down to in the end is each of us as individuals stand before God. We don't stand before God, I don't think, as a group. <laughs> well, one, one person in this group did something wrong, so the whole group is going to suffer for it. But individually, we stand before God and the secrets of our own heart as an individual are going to be open and laid bare before him. That's why I think the Bible says, judge yourself here in this lifetime. Judge yourself lest you be judged, right? Because the Bible says that <clears throat> we can judge ourselves so that we're not, you know, judged by God along with the rest of the world. So, you know, I, I look at this, and I guess the reason why I'm focusing on this so much today is that the feelings that you're feeling of, of loss and of progress is always going to be slow, if at all, and this is probably as good as it's ever going to get in your finances, in your health, in your social place, in your situation, that that in and of itself is what the Bible is talking about when it says to be carnally minded is death. Meaning that thinking about that kind of thing is literally separating you from what the Spirit of God has for you. And so, <clears throat> how do we change it? I believe we, we change it. And let, let's look at, um, let me turn to Romans chapter 3, verse number 27. Romans chapter 3, verse number 27. 
And it says here, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So let me read that again. Where is boasting then? <clears throat> you know, maybe you could go out there and say, I, I hold my tongue. I haven't said a profanity in a decade or in two or three years. I'm doing better than a lot of people. Or I no longer envy other people's material things. Or I no longer lose my temper. Or I volunteer my time down at the food pantry. Or And we can say all those things. And when you do those things, you kind of feel pretty good. But none of those things adds to or takes away from the righteousness of God that permits you into the presence of God. None of those things have equipped you to be, have qualified you for the family of God. What qualifies you for the family of God is, is the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. What does the Bible say? It says, by, by grace you have been saved through faith. I think that's an important scripture because by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I believe everything that God provides for us has to be looked at as a gift, as a gift of unearned favor, of unworked for favor. Some people call it unmerited favor. In other words, God has favor on you the way a father has favor on his child, and he deals with family completely different than he deals with strangers, right? There's people that are at enmity with God that are strangers from the covenants of promise, as the Bible says. And those people, those people are on the outside looking in. Now, the invitation is there. They can come in. But for us, do you actually think that by cleaning up your act, by doing these, all of these good work, do you actually think that you can earn answers to prayer? You know, what, what you do is, and I look at it this way, we go to school and we're taught, we went to school, if you, if you went and finished and have a high school diploma or, or went through school most of your life, the reasons why the tests were there, the reasons why all of those things were put in place was to help you develop as a person, was to help you become a productive member of society. That's really like the entire what school is for in a nutshell. Yeah, to prepare you maybe for certain vocations or things like that. But it, when it comes to the things of God and the family of God, everything that's here is to and all our actions and all the works is so that we're more like Jesus. It makes us more like Jesus to those who are on the outside. When we love people, when we don't accuse people, Jesus was accused and ridiculed, but it says he opened not his mouth before his crucifixion. And people lied about him. Um, and, and, you know, when people do that to us, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good when people lie about you or people cause you trouble or people accuse you of doing things and, and then other people turn against you and it's all, it's all a lie. <coughs> it's all a lie. And sometimes we do bring things on ourselves. Sometimes we make some bad decisions, some stupid decisions. But the point is all of these scriptures are here so that we can learn from them so that we can grow and bear fruit in our own lives so we become peaceable kind and loving people that those fruits grow in our personal lives and when when we when they do grow the quality of life increases it's not about earning blessings from god by just acting like jesus you can't do that once you get into that earning type of mentality fear is not far behind because 
you know when you've done right. When you start running a running total of what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, then you can see that on a heart level, you know, it's almost like I'm doing this for a person not because I love them, not because I want to help them. It's because I want to increase my standing in God's eyes. Do you see what I'm, what I'm saying? How our own righteousness, the Bible says, is like a filthy rag. How what we think about righteousness and so the idea here, like Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. It's almost like we have to get to the point where we're saying, by the grace of God, God's unearned favor, God loves me. God loves me as I am. Does that mean that, you know, he loves the fact that I lose my temper or does he love the fact that, um, I don't know, whatever it is that people put the label of sin on. Of course he doesn't love those things, but those things don't make you any less a son. Those things don't make you any less a daughter. Those things don't make you any less a child of, of the king. And so our own heart condemns us. Our own heart uh, is what pushes us away sometimes. And that's why I think the Bible, there's scriptures in the Bible like work out your salvation with fear and trembling, meaning that, this, you know, it's serious what we're doing down here. We're, we're only here for a limited amount of time. And so... We need to start saying with our mouths what God says about us. We need to start saying that God loves us to ourselves. Matter of fact, that's one of the definitions of meditation is to mutter to oneself under your breath or out loud. We need to, we need to rehearse the truth and not a lie. We need to rehearse the fact that the Bible says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We need to rehearse the fact that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. These truths become like those grainy black and white images. And, and, and the more, the, it's one of those things that the more you tend to these spiritual things in your life, the more importance or value you give them, then the easier it will be to push those negative, destructive thoughts out of your mind and replace them by uplifting thoughts. <clears throat> what does it say in Philippians chapter uh, 4, 19? I'm actually turning there now. I'm sorry, I went a little bit too far. 4, 8. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate means to think on, to ponder, and to mutter to yourself, to say to oneself over and over. The things that you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, you know, it's one thing to read that and nod to it and agree to it, and, and it's another thing to be a doer of it. It's just like anything else. It's one thing to say, well, I need to start walking uh, a little bit every day to get some exercise in. Or I need to do some push-ups or sit-ups or I need to start eating better. It's another thing to actually start actually taking some small actions and start doing it. Right? Because if, if you feel down a lot of the times, it's probably because you're thinking about negative things. And it's, a, it's like a circle. It's being caught in a vicious circle. right? So look at it like this. The Holy Spirit is in you. God is for you, not against you. As you begin to take little, even baby steps, I can't think of anything that's good. I just can think about this problem. Well, that's what the, the written word, that's where the written word will help you. Open up to the book of Proverbs and Psalms and read one or two of them. And then think about it. You know, there's times when, even recently, where my head 
was telling me that, you know, you don't believe, you're not trusting God in this area. And it felt like that was true. Because feelings seem like reality a lot of the times. But courage is doing something in the face of fear against your feelings. Just think of it on a battlefield. Do people actually feel good about being? Of course not. Do they feel like running and hiding? Yeah, but I'm sure. But their their training tells them sometimes you got to move forward. All right, and 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 you feel the fear and you do it anyway. When it comes to the truth of God, the Bible talks about us so much times, like in the past tense. For example, the Bible says that we were called from the foundations of the earth, that Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. It says that God, uh, Jesus has been made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, 1 Corinthians 1.30. It says in the book of Ephesians that God has seated us with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might. I mean, it just goes on and says all of these things. None of those things at first glance feels real. None of those realities that we see in the Bible feels like it's more real sometimes than the things that we're experiencing. And the only way to get to that point where the truth begins to suffocate the lie, where the, where the truth begins to drown the lie, is when we rehearse the reality that we see in the Bible, when we rehearse the reality that the Bible says that, again, I'm kind of getting in a little bit in the weeds here on this, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Rehearsing means go over again and again and again, mentally, verbally to yourself, maybe verbally out loud during your prayer time. In other words, it's something that you've made a commitment to do for the rest of your life. Think about this. Today, like that old saying goes, is the, the first day of the rest of your life. Do you want the rest of your life to be like the previous part of your life, or do you want it to be better? I want mine to be better. But I know that it's not just going to happen because of wishful thinking. It's going to happen because I'm going to have to start thinking and saying the things that the Bible says I should be thinking and saying. Just get in the book and, and it's all there. None of this is hidden. It's all there in the Bible. Read the words of Jesus. Read the words of the prophets in the Old Testament. Read it in the book of Revelation even. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And begin to do these things, even though it feels like it's not working, even though it feels like nothing is changing, even though negatively you feel horrible. See, this is the test. This is the test. This is the tribulation. Through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of heaven. A lot of these tribulations we face on an inter internal level. And so even though it feels like it's not working, it feels like we're doing it wrong, Right? Because if we were doing it right, wouldn't, wouldn't things have changed already? This is the test that we are facing. We can pass or fail this test. As long as we are here, as long as we're growing, we're going to face tests. And you may have failed this test a whole bunch of times in the past. That doesn't mean you have to fail it now. It's a new year. And even if it wasn't, it's still a new day, right? And you can still do what the Bible says to do, even if you don't feel like it. Isn't that what obedience is? Isn't that what faith is sometimes? It's taking a step in the direction even though fear tells us not to. Isn't that what it's about? Matter of fact, even in the book of Revelation, I can leave you with this thought. It says that the fearful will have their place with the unbelieving 
in the day of judgment. Let me look this up here quickly in the book of Revelation. Okay, here we go. It's in the New King James Version. It, it replaces the word fearful with cowardly. What does it say here? It says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, all of these things... Um, all liars shall inherit their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death or the second separation, I guess we could call it. Think about that. That's No wonder it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? So, I mean, do believers do the things that unbelievers do? Absolutely, because you're still in this physical body. It takes. I guess what I, what, if I could drive home any point beside the spoken part, to continually rehearse the truth, to think it and to say it with your mouth, I guess I would say this is that this takes effort to do. It takes effort to fight that part of you that wants to do the wrong thing, that wants to give up, that wants to complain. It takes effort to fight against that. But we can do it with the power of God. And I, I know it feels like a paradox sometimes. You say, yeah, but you can't do it without the power of God, but you're kind of responsible to do it, aren't you? So again, it, it depends on once you see the problem, you can't keep your eyes on the problem. In other words, if you're inconsistent, you look at the fact that you're inconsistent and you acknowledge that, but you can't keep your eyes on your inconsistency. From that point forward, you got to look to God when it comes to solving your problem with being inconsistent, not to yourself. Right? When you look at yourself and you say, well, I lose my tongue, I lose my... Or I." I let loose with my tongue and I, I say things I shouldn't say. I lose my temper. And, you know, once you look at that and see it and acknowledge it, of course, the first feeling is going to be disappointment, negativity, maybe fear. And But how do you fix that problem? You don't fix it by keep on focusing on it. You have to then focus on who we are in Christ and what God says we can do uh, through Jesus on the fact that the Holy Spirit's in us. That's when we meditate on, we take our eyes off the problem, we meditate on God, on the solution. So it's always problem, solution, problem, solution, problem, solution. The problem is what we see. The solution we cannot see, but it's written there in the Word. It's there in the Spirit. It's there when we pray. The solution's there when we say it with our mouths. And the test is, if it felt like it was working, it really wouldn't be a hard test to pass, would it? It really wouldn't feel like we're going through the fire. It really wouldn't feel like we're going through tribulation if all we had to do was say a few positive things and we were just swept over by all of this feelings of positivity and love and abundance. No, you have to dig for that. And when you dig, it feels like you're not digging anywhere, like your shovel is barely like breaking the surface of the ground. And it feels like you should give up. And it feels like it's never going to work for you. But the fact that you do it anyway, that's what it means to pass God's tests. So over to you. Anyway, thank you for um, joining me today. Thank you for listening. I hope that was a blessing to you. And uh, I guess we'll put the bookmarker in it there. Maybe I'll talk about this or something similar next time. So have a great rest of the week. God bless. And I will talk to you soon.